Okay. Welcome to, to the show. The show. Oh, that was beautiful. Are we in the wrong field? Um, we don't have a field right now, so yeah. <laughs> Are we lost? Should we hitchhike back? Let's hitchhike back. Honestly, if we were to hitchhike back, we'd find that our field is destitute and no one is there. Everything's dead. Everything is dead. Except for that lone apple tree. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're talking about different things and I'm into it. What is the difference between a cupcake and a muffin? A cupcake is not healthy and a muffin isn't either. (laughs) (laughs) Baking with Quinlan Posner. Oh my God. Where you put sugar in everything, even the sugar. I'm so fucking pissed. I forgot to bring the focaccia. You idiot. You did that on purpose. We didn't didn't have freezer. Ready Um, for you. You know how we have that new segment? You have to do this out for it. Out of date update. <laughs> out of date update. Yeah. That I have something for that. Okay. Lizzie Borden house on sale. What? I thought it was a museum. It's both. It's a house and a museum and the whole kit and caboodles on sale for uh, two million. Oh, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. You're right. We're just sitting on so on Patreon this. subscribers. <laughs> They're like, that's what you're spending it we on. Have, well, they'd be like, that's sick. Isn't that what you want? <laughs> Listen, for all of our paid, if all of you, if all of you donated, I'm sorry, if all of you subscribed to ten thousand each, <laughs> <laughs> then we can really do this. Then we together. can put a down payment on it. <laughs> Yeah, I'll put, you know what I'll do? This week's episode, I'll put it um, in our learn section. If you go to our website, dear readers, trulydarklycreepily.com, if you click love, you can go straight to our Patreon, which is where you belong. You click learn, and every week there's a different uh, something. A little something, something. A little something for you. A little something special for you and yours. I'll put the Lizzie Borden listing on this week's. Please So you can check it out, because it comes with a whole museum. I also saw, remember when we talked about that other um, place that had a prison? Yeah, the house. There's another one I saw. I saw that as well. I've been uh, Do you think they subscribe like Street Easy is like, you must like this. Well, I started following a really fun account on Instagram called Zillow Gone Wild. It is excellent. <laughs> they post always a Zillow listing and it'll sometimes be like, this person has a swimming pool shaped like David Bowie's head. Or it'll be like, this person did a regular, has a regular house listing. Did a regular but house. But put someone in an alien costume in every picture of their house listing. And you're like, I love this person. You're selling to a very specific clientele. I was looking at apartments because I was just looking at how much they were going for. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, because everybody's like, the market is so good. Yeah, yeah. I just was curious what was happening. And I was like, I don't want to leave my house because I've decorated it really. I like my apartment a lot. It's a lot I, of work to I, move. It's a lot of work. I, I was Zillow gone wild might change your mind. Well, would you help me move? No. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation. 
And the best was like, no, no, I would never. I would, I would never. Not even for money. Do you feel like here, what's so funny is I've moved people for just friends. Yeah, I know. What an idiot. You're so different from me. We are different people. You and Matt McCraskey are made of something different than me. You guys are the kind of people that we if have you no were in an elevator... And someone walked into the building across the lobby, you guys would both hit the hold button. If I saw someone walk in the lobby, you I'd hit, hit the door, door close button. <laughs> I want to sometimes hit the door close. I just, if, but I, what I, I do know. is I just don't touch it. I'm like, no, I, I always do door open. You always do. Don't even lie. You do door open. You and Matt. <laughs> I, I just want to be good. Yeah. You're made of something different than I am. I, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But you know, what this is why Matt and I need people like you because in therapy, I need to learn about locking shit down and creating them damn boundaries cuz Carrie ain't good at that. You know what I mean? And I am just a big boundary. <laughs> you're I'm like made a, of you're a fortress. <laughs> I am an orange traffic cone of a human being. I thought you were going to say you were an orange fruit where cuz you just have to get that my dad, my parents would give us oranges as kids. In your stocking? No. Because that was the worst, Mom. <laughs> Why'd you do it? Why did you do Why'd it? Why'd you fucking do it? So my dad would put oranges in our lunch boxes. Oh, I'm surprised they could fit. Our, I didn't have a lunchbox. It was paper bag. <laughs> Screw you, environment. And and I remember my little stupid fingers could never open the orange. So I just had this like useless orange in my lunches because i couldn't ever peel it without the rind Could throw it at someone i wouldn't do that when life deals you oranges hurt someone Toss with them. the orange if you can't peel it i mean it wasn't they like a clementine rolls off the tongue <laughs> as the kids say <laughs> i have an idea for another segment more than out of date update like another regular segment okay, what is it okay well i'm not hip to no i'm gonna finish the sentence there i'm not hip <laughs> but you know how people post funny things on instagram mm-hmm. um are they always memes or is there like another word for that meme i think social I media so, all right here's the thing somebody posted something on instagram that i read and it made me laugh so hard i need to share it and so the segment would be that. It would be like if we see something on social media that's so funny, we Let have me to think share of it. The title. Let I don't know of a cute title. And I'm stealing like. Stealing other people's material. Yeah, that's a good. Okay, perfect. <laughs> what we saw or what we saw. What we um, saw on the social media. Seth laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so, Seth laughs. Seth laughs. That's good. Done. So you're going to love this. You're going to thank me. So somebody posted on Instagram this listing that was on Craigslist for a 1999 Toyota Corolla. And I'm going to read it to you. Okay. Are you ready? Oh, I'm born ready. You could take the engine out of this car, drop it off the Golden Gate Bridge, fish it out of the water a thousand years later, put it in the trunk of the car, fill the gas tank up with Nutella, turn the key, and this puppy would fucking start right up. This car will outlive you. It will outlive your children. Things this car is old enough to do. Vote. Yes. Consent to sex. Yes. Rent a car. It is a car. This car's got history. It's seen some shit. People have done straight things in this car. People have done gay things in this car. It's not going to judge you like a fucking Volkswagen would. You want a car that gets the job done? You want a car that's hassle-free? You want a car that literally no one will ever compliment you on? 
will look no further than 1999 Toyota Corolla. <laughs> Let's talk about features. Bluetooth. Nope. Sunroof. Nope. Fancy wheels. Nope. Rear view camera. Nope. But it's got a transparent rear window that, and you have a fucking neck that can turn. <laughs> Let me tell you a story. One day my Corolla started making a strange sound. I didn't give a shit and ignored it. It went away. The end. <laughs> I would buy that car in a fucking heartbeat. How much are you selling it for? I don't know. We should inquire within. I actually, I'm a Toyota. I love a Toyota. Toyota. People ask me what my dream car is. Toyota Camry. Oh, I like Hondas. Just well, I'll just I like a, a Honda point Accord. That's like what all my friends mm. in high school drove. Yeah. So now I'm like, Honda Accord is my home. It is a listen. It is like a listen to Alanis Morissette with the windows down and mm. chain smoke, Marlboro ultralights. You till the cows smoked? come home in high school. Yes. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. <laughs> I was cool. <laughs> I was so not. And I was friends with the security guards at my school. So they'd like come bust me for smoking because you had to be a certain number of feet away from the school to smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't always have time to get that far from school to smoke if you're a good kid like me and you go to class. So I would like go smoke in the alley and get caught. There were like a couple places we would and then we'd go smoke behind like a, a apartment building and get caught and you could get in trouble you know with the security guards at school that's who you could get in trouble with so then we'd like tease them and have kind of this fun uh back and forth with them yes Mm -hmm. and i never got in trouble i just when you were telling that story i remember when we talked about drugs on the podcast and i just had this realization that my parents might listen to it and i'm really scared Well, you get to go first this time. It's my turn. He says it's my turn. By what, the way, what? you are listening to Truly Darkly Creepy. That's Carrie Ipema. And that's Quinlan Posner. And you are about to hear a spooky tale. I don't know if it's spooky. It's more dork sided. Really dork sided <laughs> tale. They're dork sided people. <laughs> if you don't know that GIF, God help you. God help you to learn it in a jiffy. Gargoyle people. <laughs> Do you know that one? No. <gasps> it's You're the one that showed me dork sided. It's a wife swap. It's, wait, it's the same woman? Yeah. Okay, yeah. You're the one dork that showed it. Dork <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. They don't, they're not Christian. <laughs> what do, do we think? think of these glasses, honestly? Your glasses I love. On a man, I would hate them. <laughs> They but on do... a woman, I love them. Really? Yeah. On a man, they scream child molester. I know. I'm like, we're, I'm like, do they look? Do I look like a, a loser? Or do no. I look cool? You look cool. Great. Okay. You That's... look cool. They're cool. <sighs> I don't know. I feel like are they too big? No, 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 no. Not big enough. Maybe. Ooh. What? I know. Wild. Right. I wonder what Cole will think. I'm gonna ask Koa. He'll tell me the truth. Okay. Always does. I got this information from Wikipedia, New York Times, The Cut from New York Magazine, The Guardian, NPR, People, Deadline. This is a story about a girl named Lucky. I'm just <laughs> Every time I say that, I want to say that. Uh, <laughs> Every time you say that, then you've said it. I've said it once. I'll say it before. Um, I'm doing the story of Samuel Little. He got really up in this news cycle Late December, and you'll find out why. This guy, Samuel Little, 
He had what he claims was a tough upbringing. His mother left him on the side of the road. I don't know if that's true. He claims his mother is a sex worker. Why are you so skeptical of him out of the gate? Because I think this story will prove that be skeptical of this monster. Spoiler alert, he's a bad guy. Okay, so we don't believe. Yeah, but sometimes you become a bad guy because you got left on the side of the road. Totally, 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 totally. Um. But he never fixed his ways. So, like, you know, you become a bad guy because you're left on the side of the road. He, like, his, he claims his mom was a sex worker, and he did move in with his grandmother in Ohio. He was born in Florida, I believe. But basically, he just, like, bounced back and forth. So, yeah, it sounds like his upbringing was tough. I will not deny that. Um, however, right now, I'm not, I'm not able to justify what he did based on his tough upbringing. So he grew up, he had a lot of odd jobs. He never really held down a big career, unless you would count being a bad guy. Um, but he had jobs in, like, the cemetery. He cl- he says he was an ambulance attendant. Um, and he just kept getting in trouble, right? So by 1961, he broke into a furniture store. He got three years for that. By 1975, he was arrested 26 times in 11 states. That's a lot. The guy fucking, like, did it all. He had a hobby. He had a fucking hobby. He um, was arrested for DUIs, fraud, shoplifting, robbery, assault, attacks on government officials, rape. Like, this guy was a fucking prick. I'm just going to say it. He's a fucking asshole. So the three years for robbery um, was one of his longest stints in prison up until this point. In 1976, he beat a woman, Pamela K. Smith. He tied her up. He bit her. He sodomized her. He was, he just attacked this poor woman. She fortunately escapes. She runs half naked. She lands on a stranger's doorstep and she gets help. So she survives. From this... He's convicted of a charge. This was his charge that he was convicted with. Assault with an attempt to ravish. To what? To ravish. That's a thing? I don't fucking know. But That's he like, got, sounds like some old-timey language. He got three months for that. Hey. He kidnapped her, tied her up. 1982... He's arrested in Mississippi for the murder of 22-year-old Melissa Rose Laprie. The grand jury hears the evidence, and they decline to indict him for murder. So he just gets off scot-free, no problem. He's then transferred to Florida, where he's tried for the murder of 26-year-old Patricia Ann Mount. So there were eyewitness testimonies. That's also part of the evidence that placed him with her the night before she disappeared. But because the witnesses couldn't be trusted... He was acquitted of that in 1984. <laughs> so he's someone that's like fucking causing mayhem and they have him and then he just falls through their fingers. He moves to California then near San Diego. Like, again, this guy just keeps bopping back and forth, back and forth. October 1984, he's arrested for kidnapping, beating and strangling 22-year-old Lori Barros. She miraculously survived because she played dead On the side of the road. Oh, my God. A month later, the police found him in the backseat of a car, of his car, with an unconscious woman. She was also beaten and strangled. And this was in the exact same location as the Lori Barros attack. He received four years, but only served a year and a half before getting parole. 
weird. Why is this guy getting off so he easy? He served more time for breaking into a furniture store than he did for this attack of two women. Who were the women? Um, Lori Barrows. So, yeah. Okay. That's where we're going with this. I knew it. Because when you hear about people get not getting let off like that, it's always because the women are... Usually it's because the women are either drug addicts or sex workers and they're... People of color. Yes. And people of color. And so crimes against them are not being taken seriously. Yes. What a fucking nightmare. I'll get to it. It's because it's so shocking. So he's released in 1987. He's known to commit 10 more murders. What? It gets worse. How? It's a great question. How does it get worse? I will tell you. So anytime there's these unsolved murders, they're put through a system and categorized so that maybe they can, you know, find cold cases. DNA is collected off of them and placed away in the DNA system. Cold cases will rot. The DNA will not become viable anymore. There's so many ways that those um, evidence kits can be tampered with and are just like put in a fucking locker and never touched again. Mm-hmm. And especially if there's not media attention, especially if there's not a perfect victim, you know, um, in the eyes of the media, sometimes these things will go completely unnoticed, which is how this Samuel Little operated for years. Deliberately. Deliberately going to communities of color um, that were ravaged by the war on drugs, South Central Los Angeles, right. sex workers, drug addicts. Like, really people that were so vulnerable, but also no one gave a shit about. Ugh. So in 2000... I know, it's fucking enraging. In 2012, they... There's a couple things... When I was looking at the articles, there were two conflicting stories, but... So I'll lay both of them out for you, because both of them, I think, might be true. But essentially what happened was, is in the 1980s, when he was arrested for assault, they had his DNA... Um, on file. And so through a system where they connected similar causes of death um, and sort of evidence around that, they connected his DNA. And so how they got him from Kentucky, where he was living at the time, was they extradited him based on a narcotics charge. In doing this, they got, I think, his DNA from that, and they were able to connect it to a lot of these murders that were unsolved and that were in the system. Specifically, Carly Euline Elford, she died July 13th, 1987. Keep in mind, this is 2012 when we're connecting him to these murders. Guadalupe Duarte Apodaca, um, September 3rd, 1987. So two months in between. Audrey Nelson Everett, August 14th, 1989. So these are three women that were found on the streets of L.A., they had DNA. Some of them had DNA under their fingernails. Some of them did had DNA on them. And so by connecting the DNA to Samuel Little, they still didn't have enough to convict him because they were sex workers. There was a lot of DNA evidence on them and they needed to have eyewitness testimony. They needed to connect cause of death and like pattern to him. So they start investigating this guy, Samuel Little, more. They find out that he had all these aliases, you know, Samuel McDaniel, Samuel McDowell, Willie Mae Clifton, Willie Lewis. And they were like, where's this guy been hiding all these years? And they realize he fucking hasn't been hiding. He's been just like doing it in plain sight. 
In total, for all of the crimes he committed before this moment, he served a total of 10 years in prison. He was charged in 2013. He was tried for the murders of the three women in September 2014. At this trial, they kept still trying to connect him to other murders, but again, they didn't have enough evidence to do so. So in order to connect him, they needed to get witnesses from other attacks. So what they had to do is they had to reach out to his previous victims to testify at this at this trial. Mm-hmm. And what's horribly traumatic is these women survived death, right? They survived being very fucking close to death because this guy's a monster. And one of them had reported to the police, nothing, nothing. fucking happened. So obviously there's zero trust in the system. And why would someone like that? Why could, how could they help? You know, so they took a lot of, and another woman just didn't report because she was like, nothing's going to fucking happen anyway. So one of actually, one of the witnesses, when she didn't report, she said, ain't nobody cared until that white girl turned up dead a year later. Didn't nobody care about a black prostitute in Mississippi? No, ma'am, they didn't. Oh. Two women agreed to testify and confront in court. While one of the women was walking in, she completely collapsed when she saw him. She came back out and her friend, the other woman, was there. And she said, look at me. This is a quote from The Cut, which is an incredible article on it. She said, look at me. You don't got to be scared of him anymore. I know we didn't come this far for you to fall apart now. And the woman said, I'm not scared. I want to kill him. I want to kill that motherfucker. The woman said, you don't got to do that. You just go in there and tell the truth. And they wrote, with that, all five feet, three inches, applied her lipstick, squared her shoulders, and headed back in. Yes. So he was found guilty in that trial on three counts of first-degree murder, thank God. Obviously, in large part from their testimony, he was sentenced to three consecutive life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole. So while he was doing this, he was denying he was claiming his innocence. So he's been jailed since 2014. Like I had mentioned earlier, that he went undetected for so long was because he preyed on what they call as like the less dead, right? These people that nobody would bat an eye at, no would investigate further. People who were um, addicted to drugs. The woman that the witness had alluded to was a white woman was found And she became one of the victims of Samuel Little that kind of reached notoriety, which was, again, it's like a white woman died and they investigated her. Now let's take it seriously. Yeah. I mean, she was among the vulnerable population. She was addicted to drugs and she was a sex worker. But the color of her skin, I guess, let them sort of put a little bit of attention on her case. So a lot of them, like I said, were estranged from their family. What was interesting in the Cut article was like the war on drugs during the 1980s and 19s, like in South Central and all of that, like the the addiction and sex work there allowed for a breeding ground of criminals to come in and do whatever the fuck they want, sort of with mm. impunity, without any sort of recourse or consequence. Many of the deaths of his victims who we'll find out more about, some of them were claimed to be overdoses, accidental deaths. Some of them aren't even listed as homicides. Because he was strangling them? Mm -hmm. Mm. In 2018, sheriffs came and they started connecting him to more murders and they were talking to him. And that's when he started confessing to over 93 murders. What? He has taken up drawing. And so (coughs) he 
colors, he paints, he draws Victims. photos. And then the they pictures. try to match them? Yes. Wild. They draw photos, and he remembers each and every one of them. He's able to tell their story. He knows their names. He's able to fully list all of I'm them. I'm very surprised he has Not that good a memory. Them. Not all of them, but like a lot of them. He knows their names. He knows where they were. He remembers what they look like. He draws portraits of them, which is just so morbid. Fucking sick. He, a reporter talked to him in the cut, and uh, she was interviewing him, and he talked about his first murder. He talked about how it was a sign from God. He thought he was, like, an angel of mercy, that he saw these women as being close to death. But on other cases, he thought of himself as the devil. He told all of his victims he loved them. He calls them his babies. For him, killing and sex were connected. He hates being called a rapist. Killer doesn't bother him. Huh. What do you think that's about? He didn't think women were real. Like, he thought women were this, and they weren't real breathing human beings. They were toys for him. Okay. And it was sexually motivated. Right. I just wonder why he takes umbrage with the term rapist. I don't know. Yeah. 93 murders in over 14 states um, between 1970 and 2005. 50 of them have been verified. For one other, they would take to trial and then he would get an additional life sentence. At this point, they just wanted to get closure for families. Yeah. But then he started driving the ship and he was like, you know, I'll tell you if you transfer me out of the L.A. prison Don't system. Give Don't give him anything. Don't give that guy anything. a fucking sandwich. Right. So at this point, the FBI then took his confession tape and they put it on their website as well as portraits of his victims in hopes to find them, in hopes that somebody will recognize them and be able to connect a murder. So the police have enlisted the public in locating this. In November 2020, as early as like a couple months ago, he confessed to two Florida murders um, that another man had been convicted for. So he confessed to that. I don't know. No way. I don't know the the status of that if they've overturned the conviction or anything because again like they have all this dna on him but because so much of it is old and also like there's not a lot of evidence connecting to him he can't just you know i don't i think there's like a more formal process like so someone can someone confesses more than confessing yeah yeah well there should be so because there's like that confession killer did you hear about him no just like the guy that they were giving him like a Coke and a cigarette when he would, like, come in with a new confession. So he was, like, confessing to... A, he confessed to, like, a hundred murders. And he definitely committed, like, three. <laughs> like, But the cops loved him because they were these cops in Texas that were, like, case solved, case solved. And they were, like, <laughs> we're killing it. We have no open cases. But they were just... Anytime they needed to close a case, they'd be, like, call that guy in. Give him a Diet Coke and a cigarette. And, and I'll be like, yeah, I did it. And he'd be like, can I have a burger? And they'd be like, sure. And he'd be like, I did it. I definitely did it. 100%. <laughs> this guy for sure did a lot of them. He talks about luring women in and giving them drugs and then taking advantage of them and, you know, torturing them. You know, making it last a long time. Ugh. Sometimes letting them regain consciousness. Some of them, you know, before killing them. The women that survived, I find uh, it's like so miraculous that women got out of there. The interview in the cut is really compelling. It's a really good article because it's this reporter who talks about him being like him 
being manipulative and like kind of just above the law. Like this guy really felt like he was smarter than everybody. And he talked about a quote of his in it. He said, I never kill no senators or governors or fancy New York journalists. Nothing like that. I killed you. It'd be all over the news the next day. <sighs> so he knew how to operate. Yeah. Very That's deliberate. That's what's so fucking sick is he Because he's calling us. Well, he's calling out the system. Totally. The FBI calls him the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history. He has more murders than Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy. The only good news I have is that he died on December 30th, 2020. Bye, bitch. Bye. While serving a life sentence at 80 years old. There's no cause of death, um, no foul play as of yet. He did have diabetes, heart issues, and other health concerns. But I hope that these families get closure. But he's a sick fucking man, and the world is better that he's dead. These deaths of these women, they mattered. They mattered to people. The fact that the police had him, like they had him multiple fucking times. Yeah. Do your fucking job. Get justice for these poor victims. Yeah. What a story. Thank you for telling it. You're welcome. Um, Just, you know, the cut article that I read um, was written by Jillian Lauren. It's a beautiful article. Um, It's really dark. It's really crazy. Um, But I highly recommend reading it. Thanks, Jillian. I... I'm going to switch tone and tactic and tell a story that has also been uh, not in the news lately, but there was recently a four-part series on Amazon that grabbed my attention, and I watched it. Yes, we're going to talk about the Bobbits. What? Lorena and John Bobbit. Wait a minute. How do I know them? Oh, you know them. I'm excited that you forgot how you know them, because as this unfolds, you're going to be like, Because oh. we've done something about them, right? No. No. So I got my information from a Vanity Fair article by uh, Lily Analik. We love Vanity Fair. It was a great article, a really great article. I also got my information from a New York Times article by Amy Chazik and another one that's by David Margalik. And then this amazing four-part series called Lorena that was actually produced by Jordan Peele and was on Amazon. Lorena Gallo was born in Ecuador in 1969. She was raised in Venezuela, and she totally fell in love with America through TV. West Side Story. Yes, <laughs> through TV and movies. And she just wanted to be a girl named Maria. I want in, to live in America. Um, in 87, she came over on a student visa and went to Northern Virginia Community College. And she got a job working at a nail salon and met her boss, Jana Bizzuti. She was hanging out at a dance hall near the U.S. Marine Corps base at Quantico and met Lance Corporal John Wayne Bobbitt who uh, was from Niagara Falls. If you look at pictures of them from this time, from when they met and started dating, they are super cute couple, both just, like, really attractive. And she was kind of into him because he, like, represented America to her because he was a Marine and he was, I don't know. um, And she did not have, like, any dating experience at all. This was, like, one of her first relationships, if not the first relationship. So, you know, how was your first relationship? 
Um, I was older. Not terrible. Okay, mine was pretty bad. Like, I, in the sense that, like, you don't know what's normal. Totally. totally. My first boyfriend was three years older than me and living in a halfway house at 17. Oh, And I had to lie about my age to visit him in the halfway house. Okay. Um, Okay. So that was, yeah. Yeah, that was he was mine. Tw- he was twenty one and you were seventeen. No, no, he was seventeen. Lived in a halfway house. I was fourteen. Wow, Quinn, you lived a life. <laughs> Indeed. Lying anyway. about your age at fourteen. Yeah. What, how, what, did you have to lie and say you were seventeen? I had to be sixteen to visit him. I turned fifteen while we were dating, and we said I was turning sixteen so that I could visit him at the halfway house he lived in. Um, mm, okay. Because he couldn't be like unmonitored with me. Um, yeah, because you were minor. <laughs> yeah, correct. Because you were... I don't know why they let a 16-year-old... I, I think it's all Colorado very questionable. Is, uh, I think Colorado 16 is the age of consent, right? Because I know it changes in state to state. And his dad had been in jail for molesting his sister, and his dad gave me, like, a heart necklace when he met me. And I remember being super creeped. What is your? What did your parents say? You know, my parents... Believe in second chances. <laughs> well, your dad is a criminal defense attorney. Sorry, I was but, with him for a long time. I was with him. He was my first boyfriend. I was with right. him for over a year. But um, my first boyfriend, I was with for like two years. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a commitment girl. Um, wait, I'm just so commi- He molested <laughs> his daughter and then accused gave, of. I'm sorry. Allegedly. <laughs> and then gave you a heart. As a parent, I'd be like, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. And I, I feel, feel like, like he was like, um, and I think he was like a pastor or something. There's, you're not helping your it case was, yeah, right okay. now. Like, anyway, <laughs> so that was really a sidebar. What I was going to say is you're like a little forgiving in your first relationship. So they're going totally. out, Lorena and John, and John's like drinking a lot and maybe misbehaving a little. And definitely like he drinks a lot. She doesn't. And then he's like, oh, I don't know my wallet. You know, like that kind of deal. God, um, that, was she's my, like, that was literally my this. first date. That was literally my first date. It was like, I don't have enough money. Can you pay? Totally. And I was like, sure. No problem. She's like staying with a family, not hers, but right. a friend of her family's. And they're like, this guy seems like trouble. And she's like, no, no, he's great. At one point they go on a date to a swimming pool and he finds a ring in the swimming pool and gives it to her as an engagement ring. Real class act. Finders keepers. Finders keepers. <laughs> Losers are you if you take that ring. <laughs> they get married 10 months after they meet. So she's 20. He's 22. It's The year is 89 and they get married. And they move to Virginia to a little town. And the relationship starts to get garbage fast. As if it was great before, but it yeah. It was so great when he found, back when he found that swimming pool ring. They call 911 on each other a lot, that oh, kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> I think if that happens once, maybe call it quits. I don't know. I do know this story and I'm so excited. You just remembered, right? I did yeah. remember. So he's pretty abusive, it turns out. He's physically abusive. He's verbally abusive. He beats her up. He rapes her. He forces her to have anal sex. At one point, she gets pregnant, and she's... This is good news for her. She's excited to have a baby. But he basically coerces or forces her to get an abortion. Says that they're not ready to have kids and is like, I'm not doing this, and it's my decision, and we're not going to do this. He would 
threaten to leave her and get her deported all the time, which would have been a really big legitimate fear for her. She thinks, you know, basically her being in America is really wrapped up in her relationship with him and this marriage allowing her legally to be there. One of the quotes I'm going to read from him is, Lorena was a good wife a lot of the time, but she was obsessed with having her American dream, her American dream, her American dream. She said it all the time. Jana Bizzuti had a big house, a cabin cruiser, a Mercedes. Lorena wanted those things. She wanted too much too fast. Jana is her Her boss. boss at the salon. In 91, John is discharged and he doesn't have a job. So now he's just chilling. Lorena is making the bread, making the bacon. Oh, Lorena. So I think his manhood is threatened. The fights get worse, God, more he's violent. He's such an ass. He's such an ass. But they're in trouble financially. Lorena does end up embezzling some like $7,000 or something from her boss. She Eek. straight steals from the salon. So not good. Not a good look. Not a good look. Let's let's get to the incident you all know and love. One night, John goes out drinking with a friend of his. They go out to some clubs. John says that he didn't drink a ton. I think he was hammer time. But he says he had two Budweiser's and two Kahlua and cream drinks, which, by the way, <laughs> are you like a seventh grader are drinking t- for the first time in your life? That you're like, let's get Budweiser's and, and Kahlua into a cream. Coffee liqueur, please. <laughs> Budweiser's and that sounds vile. John, grow up. <laughs> so the police report that's filed right after the incident says that the John's friend that he's with goes into the living room to go to sleep, mm-hmm. and John goes into the bedroom where Lorena's asleep. According to Lorena, John rapes her, comes home drunk, rapes her. And this was like normal, commonplace. Pretty normal that he'd get drunk and rape her. And she gets up after he rapes her and passes out and goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water and sees a knife and then kind of blacks out, essentially. What she did do while blacked out is go back to the bedroom. And grab his penis. John says he kind of woke up to her grabbing his penis and thought, she wants more. She's here to give me a hand job. I hate him. John, hate that's him. not what's up. You don't rape somebody and then they're like giving you a hand job a minute later. I hate I'll him. say it again. Grow up. <laughs> she cuts off his penis that with that girl. knife. Um, also, like, I, she, I don't, I don't, I don't, listen, I don't know the case yet. I don't think she blacked out. I do think probably it was... I think she did black out in the sense that she doesn't deny doing it. But I think, like, I think that I think there the was a emotional... break. I think there was, like, for sure something happened where she was like, I'm done with but this. But I think it's... Yeah. Yeah. One thing she says that's rather damning, not a great look, is that when they... Uh, when she first is talking to an officer about this having happened, she says, he always has an orgasm and doesn't wait for me to have an orgasm. He's selfish. I don't think it's fair. So I pulled back the sheets then and I did it. Oh. But she later says the opposite. She says, I didn't want to teach him a lesson. It was survival. It was life and death. I was fearing for my life. So there's these kind of... I. She's figuring out her defense, whether it's like self-defense well, or... I think that she did it because he raped her all the time and she was fucking over it and didn't feel like she had a way out yeah 
We'll talk about that as we get into the court case. So as Lorraine is leaving the house, she has knife in hand, dick in hand. She steals $100 and his Nintendo Game Boy. Wow. Oh, so, okay. She's mad, I guess. She took um, all the things he enjoyed she took most in all his, his life. favorite stuff. He took video games and his dick. Yeah. <laughs> That's so dark. She, that is like, I think, a lot. <laughs> So fucking oh, these dark. are a few of his favorite things. <laughs> she gets in her car and f- she drives first to where she worked, like the nail salon. On the way, she throws his penis out the window because she's like trying to drive holding a penis. It's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to put your hands at the 10 o'clock and the, and the 2, two o'clock, o'clock when you when got, you got a, a handful dick in of dick. So out the window it goes, sort of near a 7-Eleven in a little field. God, can you imagine finding that thing? Gets to the salon, is like, I steal this knife, throws it in the trash bin outside. And then she goes to her boss's house from there, Jana's house. And she's like, ah, I did this. And Jana's like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> like, oh, what? Yeah, they call the cops. She, like, ends up telling the police, here's the situation. And they're like, where's his dick, Lorena? <laughs> And she's like, about that. I kind of panicked back there by a 7-Eleven. It went out the window. And they're like, oh, my God. Okay. So they, like, go to the field by this 7-Eleven and start looking (laughs) through the field. The funny thing was, when they first find the penis, no one wants to touch it at first. Which I'm like, you guys, grow up. Do your job. (laughs) The The theme theme of this this episode episode is Grow up. They finally put on gloves and they have to pick up the penis and they're right by this 7-Eleven. This is true. This is insane. They they're like, ice. we got to put it on ice. They go in and get ice from the 7-Eleven and they put the in penis. A slushy? A hot dog bag. <laughs> How? You cannot make this stuff up. Like, I could not I make it imagine up. imagine them being like, oh, what do we, uh, I guess a hot dog bag? <laughs> There's metal. Maybe it's insulated. I don't know. (laughs) Where we get the gloves on? They bring his penis to Prince William Hospital, which is where he is. Because obviously he woke up yelling. His friend's like, what happened from the couch? And he's like, Lorena cut my dick off. Like, he at first didn't realize. his friend was there. He at first didn't realize. Like, it was like that thing where he's like. I think it was probably he's really yeah. drunk and in an insane amount of pain. And it took him a minute to be like, I'm missing something important. And oh they go to the hospital. And his friend drove him to the hospital. And his friend's like, hang on, let me get on. He's like, dude, like, let's go. This urologist who reattached the penis testified that Mr. Bobbitt had lost a third of his blood. And there was nothing more than a red clot of blood. Where the penis would have been. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I hate that. I, I but just... he reattaches it, which no one had ever really performed a surgery like that. So the doctor's like, "I didn't know what the fuck was gonna happen, but I was like, let's." <laughs> but I damn well did it. Do this. Nine hours is the reattachment surgery. Now, what does insurance do? Like, what is the what is the that is an expensive <laughs> insurance has to cover that. I don't. The doctor is trying to like not cover anything. Right. They're like, that's elective. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards, the doctor goes, "The operation was a success. Your penis could still turn black and fall off, but it was a success." We have talked about that on this podcast. Yeah, 
penis. Amazingly enough, obviously, they have to stand trial. Yeah, that's the next step for sure. Yeah. And did she plead insanity? Like, what was her vibe? Well, first is the case against him. It's two different court cases. First, he goes to trial because she's, like, accusing him. Of abuse and, yeah. And they're like, can we televise this? And it's ruled that they can't because the case is sexual in nature. So for some reason, that means then it cannot be televised, the trial against him. And at the time that he is in court, marital rape has only really even been recently recognized as a crime. Isn't that so fucked? Yeah. And it's sort of also, even though it's been recognized as a crime, it's a really tricky thing to prove, right? It's a your word against theirs kind of vibe. Um, Believe women. I guess that doesn't fucking happen. Well, and then the judge says to the jury, here's the deal. Nothing that happened in the last five years matters. I only want the jury to be allowed to consider what's happened in the last five days prior to the incident, which is crazy because if he'd been serial raping her their whole marriage, you'd think that, that stuff is part of the If somebody argument. snaps, it's about what builds to that snap. It's not. And five days isn't how we got to where we got. Five years is. The witnesses that testify in the trial, a bunch of people will talk about having conversations with John where he was bragging and boasting about how he loved um, really brutal sex, how he liked forcing women into sex. That was his favorite kind. And he talks about hitting her. He talks about pulling her hair, throwing her against a wall. People had seen him do these things. People had seen him humiliate her in public. Don't be that guy don't be that guy fucking speak up don't be that person that just lets it fucking two of the witnesses were guys that worked out with him and went fishing with him and they were like oh in 1992 he told us that he really liked to make girls squirm and yell and bleed and make them yell for help and that was his like bag that was his cup of tea as far as sex stuff went they also have a form that he filled out after a marital dispute in 1990 when he was in the marine corps he says to a military social worker that he abused his wife physically and emotionally. Like, he says that on a form. He's like, yeah, I do that. I call that the uh, Cosby paradigm, where, like, you know, they don't believe women, and then all of a sudden the guy's like, yeah, no, I did that. And they're like, oh, maybe, oh, okay, okay, we believe him now. Yeah. Because uh, Cosby was like, I didn't dr- I didn't do anything, but I did, here's a deposition where I admit to giving women quaaludes, like, it's no big thing. Well, once, well, once <laughs> he's in yourself. court, too, he's like, no, 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 it was always consensual and she liked it rough kind of business but um if she liked it rough then why'd she cut your dick off dude yeah if she liked it then why'd she end it by severing your penis from your body sounds like she wasn't so that you couldn't do it anymore yeah it sounds like she's giving you some pretty strong signals (laughs) that she's not that into it yeah no is vocal and physical and retributional (laughs) the jury finds him not guilty of marital sexual assault. Now it's time for Lorena to stand trial. These poor women. This poor fucking woman. Right. Oh, brutal. So two months later, it's her turn. And of course, her trial is televised. How are you going to say that his can't be? And hers Because can. it has to do with sex. And then oh. hers can be. I hate people. But, oh my God, everybody watched this. It was... 
OJ Styles crowds. It was like everyone wanted to see what was going to happen. And at the time, um, it was on television and it had to be interrupted at one point because they were trying to show President Clinton's press conference on Ukraine's nuclear disarmament. And they said that the switchboard just like lit up, lit the fuck up with people being like pissed that their viewing of the trial was interrupted. That's dope. Everyone's like, no, 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 no. We got to see Lorena. What's going on? Was there sympathy for her? Um, Was there? Yeah. Actually, like, um, a lot of people came to support her. Um, I mean, outside the trial is kind of just a shit show in general because people are, like, selling T-shirts. People are selling hot dogs. People are selling penis-shaped chocolates. Um, They had, like, things that... The erotic novel... The novelty erotic... Gifts were booming at this time. Things like love hurts. (laughs) They were selling slice sodas. I mean, it was like... Slice soda? You never had a slice? A slice is like a lemon soda, but it's called slice. They were just selling. Yeah, that was just... This is a point in the column of capitalism. (laughs) There was a lot of good stuff you could purchase at the trial. She pleads this thing, it, basically temporary insanity is what it breaks right. down to, but it's the idea that you've been driven in a moment to everything built to this moment. And it's like a crime was, of passion in a yeah. way, but it's, yeah. John is like, she did this because I was leaving her. I told her I was leaving her and she felt like if she couldn't have me, no man could. That's also, why she did it. for the record, why would she do that if your friend is there? That's the other thing is like. Right. And he says that it was about her being upset she was going to lose her green card because he was going to leave her. You have to have been married for five years to be an American citizen. They'd only been married for four. So again, we know part of his abuse was hanging that over her head. Yeah. He was going to supposedly leave the marriage. I don't even think that's true, though. That he was going to leave? No. No, I think she... I think she felt trapped, if anything. Yeah. Um. One of the most important witnesses in this trial actually ends up being this woman who, when he had been to trial, when John had been at trial, she could have fucking been a prosecutorial witness against him, but she didn't even know it was happening. She wasn't like watch following the news. When she finally learns of it, it's too late. His trial is over, but she can now at least go up here for the defense for Lorena. And who this woman is, is a woman that a few days prior to this happening got a manicure from Lorena. And she'll testify that Lorena was really shaken up. She gave like a really shitty manicure, by the way. She's just like painting all over this woman's hands. Like she's just like, (laughs) Uh, but she notices right away that Lorena has bruises on her arms. And she does that like classic abused housewife thing where when she sees someone notice the bruises, she like covers them with Mm. her, you know, and then the woman's kind of like, are you okay? And Lorena's getting really sort of teary and shaky. Mm. And she basically ends up telling this woman, my husband beats me all the time and I'm really scared of him. I'm scared he's going to kill me. And she's like, just leave him, you know, kind of thing. And she's like, I can't. I'm too scared. He'll come after me. And she's shaky and she's switching between kind of laughing and being okay and then being really like distracted and scared again. Um, Miraculously, this woman also gets an eyebrow wax from her, which seems like Really risky. Really risky. It's really sad, though. It's so I would really recommend watching the documentary because you learn about he was just he really brutalized her. She lived. It was emotional and physical, right? And he, it's like 
He did everything he could to terrorize this poor woman. And she doesn't have anyone that can help her. Uh, and it's really, really sad. <sighs> but we, what I think the documentary does a good job explaining is how this became like a household joke, which we all get. It's very funny. It's undeniably funny stuff. But the point was the funny ended up way overshadowing the, the actual... issue of abuse. It was a symptom. It, it wasn't didn't the cause. become a story at all about a woman that was abused. It was just a story about a woman that chopped off her husband's dick. And right. the problem with it becoming that kind of story is that John will never be the bad guy in that story. He'll be the punchline and it will all have a vibe of funny, not of the actual emotional So trauma. you'd meet yeah. John if you were somebody back then and you'd go laugh and go, you're the guy whose dick got cut off. Not you're the guy that used to rape and abuse your wife. Yeah. That's what your mind would do. Right. Uh, there's a jury of seven women and five men, and they find Lorena not guilty of malicious wounding due to temporary insanity. Okay. So she's not guilty. He's Ugh, not guilty. I'm relieved at that for her because... I think that what happened is everybody went, we don't feel comfortable with either narrative. Like, no one... No one... We don't know yeah. who's in the wrong here. We don't. Because... He's so clearly in the wrong, having abused her so much. But also everyone's like, but you cut off his dick. And the men hear yeah. that, and it's the worst thing you could do. You should have just, <laughs> some of the guys that talked about just it were like, me. you should have just killed him. Like, just kill him. you don't do that. God. It's a draw. She does have to spend um, a month and a half being psychiatrically evaluated right. because the defense is built on her sanity. Which she didn't really realize, I guess, which was really interesting. Like, when they say not guilty, she kind of thought, like, she was going to walk out of the courthouse. And instead, they, like, keep her in cuffs and take her to an institution. And she's like, well, what? But. Oh, right. So I think she was like, wait, what's going on? But at the same time, she's also sort of grateful. I think it went down that way because she got to. She needed to talk. She needed help. She actually needed help. She fucking needed to talk through this stuff and it's kind of nice that the side effect of this was her getting to talk to a bunch of psychiatrists about what she had been through and work through that abuse and sort of realize this wasn't normal what was happening to you wasn't okay well the good news for Lorena is after all this madness she becomes a citizen good yep she goes back to school. She meets a husband who presumably does not abuse her, David Bellinger. They've been together for 20 years. Oh. She is one little weird blemish that I got to throw in here is that in 97, she's arrested for allegedly assaulting her mom. Huh. Um, that she beat her up while she was watching TV or something. But in court, her mom says through a translator that she has all these facial injuries from getting beat up by Lorena. And she says they're from a pimple that got really out of control. A big one, she says. A a big pimple. So nothing really comes of that. Wow. Um, But I just want to be clear. She's not perfect, Lorena. True. I mean, she resorted to violence. Yeah, she's got a temper. Um, But to her 
absolute credit, in 2007, she starts a foundation which is dedicated to the prevention of domestic violence. Good. Lorena, in an interview, kind of likens herself to Monica Lewinsky and Tanya Harding. Just as far as... Oh, interesting. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was so interesting of just that she's like the press... It was seeking needs to vilify us. It needs to turn us into these psycho bitches. It doesn't have a comfortable narrative for people like us. And it needs to really vilify us to to live in that comfortable place of like, who are these people? And we're victims of that, really. I was going to say, it's interesting. Our two stories, they're connected in that way of like the media having such a big, big responsibility in these cases. Well, Lorena changes her name. It's a notoriety she doesn't want. It's totally. it's she doesn't want to be the butt of a joke. She wants to move on. She wants to have a life. Of course. And you can imagine like being that woman is what she is for a long time and it's it makes her want to kind of hide. Meanwhile, John, the exact opposite. He's like loving the fame because remember he had no job and Lorena was the breadwinner he hate this guy it opens up all these pathways for him to make money that this happened because he's sort of like a faux celebrity Howard Stern ends up hosting like a goofy telethon to raise money for his dick where there's like a dick meter like a big plastic dick that's like getting raised as the money raises and there's like a woman that's like a sort of Vanna White kind of deal like stroking it and like being like Ugh. and it's disgusting <laughs> it's vile it's so vile Howard Stern by the way I'm gonna go ahead and out him as a total asshole in this instance he says I know he's shock radio right but he they were playing clips of his interview with John. John ends up being like a regular in the Howard Stern show because Howard Stern's like, this is so funny. Your dick got chopped off. Let's talk about your dick all the time. And on the show, Howard says, I don't even buy that he was raping her. She's not that great looking. <gasps> oh, that's so gross. Don't get me started. Oh, Howard. John do heads better. to Las Fucking Vegas, do better. which is where someone like John does belong. Um. He meets Ron Jeremy there, porn star, and he's like, I'm going to be in a porn because the thing is, everyone's going to want to see my dick. Everyone wants to see, like... The dick that got chopped off. And, like, does it work? Like, everyone's question is, like, can you still do it? So he ends up being in a porn called John Wayne Bobbitt, uncut. And he almost misses the premiere of this movie, by the way, because why? Jail? Uh, domestic battery against his girlfriend, Christina yeah. Elliott, who mm-hmm. is a, a dancer at a topless cabaret mm-hmm. place. And he does end up going to jail for 60 days. Yeah. So, 60 days. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Asshole. Then he ends up using a bunch of the money to go back to the doctor. And he's like, I want a bigger penis and I want it longer and thicker, which apparently is a surgery they don't recommend. They're sort of like, pick one or the other. Also, but you he's had like, life changing. Why would you go back? And it, everything's working. You're so lucky. Like, you don't, like, everything's okay. Don't get greedy. You know what? Get greedy. I hope it, f- yeah, get fucking greedy. You know what? What happens? It ends up looking really bad. Yeah. I don't know to what end, but I do know the next porn he does is called Franken Penis, which I think 
is... Did you see it? N- I did not. It gotcha. is, I, I didn't do my due diligence and research. Yeah. And, I don't watch investigate. I don't watch interrogations. You don't watch porn. And I think that's fair. That's fair. We are I, who we are. A, if there's a porn, I promise you I will not watch it for Truly Darkly Creepily. I promise you <laughs> I don't need to see what this Franken penis, which is, I guess, a reference to a botched dick operation. I just, I don't need to see what that results this in. This guy sounds like a fucking ass clown. You know what, though? Do I? Now that I'm saying it, I'm like, I'd be interested. I'd be curious. Like, what does it look like? Um, I don't think it looks good is the punchline. Um, in 97, um, Ron Jeremy introduces John to a friend of his, Dennis Hoff, who owns the Moonlight Bunny Ranch in Nevada, which is like a brothel kind yes. of situation. Yeah. And they think it'd be really funny to hire John as like a greeter. So he's basically just there as you come in to be like, I'm it's me. It's John Bobbitt. Oh my god. And like people are like, that's so funny. Let me get a picture with you. And like it is, it's like a sideshow. It's like a museum. Yeah. It's like here's this guy that it's very funny that he's here. He got his dick chopped off. He's famous because of it. And now here he is at this brothel. Isn't it hilarious and fun? And it brings business because people are like, John Bobbitt works there. I gotta meet that guy. That's crazy. But John's still John, he's not going to change. No. In 99... Because there's been no consequences for him. No, Remember, folks? Nope. When no consequences happen to someone, they just keep doing what they do. It's amazing how that works out. So, yeah, we shouldn't impeach Trump. You're going to be a good parent, Carrie. <laughs> In 99, he pleads guilty to a felony charge of attempted grand larceny because he's stolen $140,000 of clothing, basically through a girlfriend. Like, I think he was, like, having her still clothes from a store she worked at, and then he was reselling them. Get a job, John. Get a fucking job. Also, the people that hired him at Moonlight Bunny Rancher, like, we wanted to fire him. He was terrible. He made constant trouble. But he was bringing in all this business. We're and if he would sli- be anybody else, we would have fired him. Because he basically just sits at the bar and annoys everybody. Like, gets drunk. And annoys everybody and harasses the women. He ends up dating one of them who tells this mental story. So he ends up with this girlfriend, Desiree Lutz, I think is how you say her name. And he's basically living off her. She's working. He's not. His usual MO. And I, they have a place together. And I don't know if she wanted to leave him or what the story is. But he ends up chasing her onto a balcony and beating her up and hanging her over the balcony by her legs. And there are a few stories up. And he says he's going to drop her, scares the shit out of her, pulls her back inside, ties her to a bed, and keeps her there three days just raping her and beating on her. She pretends to be dead, she said at one point. And he starts to get a pile of sheets. And she's like, he's going to wrap me in these sheets and like hide, like dispose of my body like she's basically like this guy is a killer and he unties her and she ends up running just running from him um he also got charged with battering his third wife joanna farrell who was a fitness model oh he's just the idea that that anyone would have found him not guilty of battering Lorena is so laughable once you watch the rest of his life unfold and he just keeps beating women up. Does he get um, any more jail time for... Well, so in 2014, 
In 2016, he schedules an appointment with the guy that reattached his penis, Mm -hmm. who's a guy he trusts with his penis. And he's like, can you fix it? Because remember, he's got Franken penis. And he basically goes to get a penis reduction (laughs) surgery. And he says, I should have just left it alone. Yes, John. John, you should have left everything fucking alone. The fact that you got out of jail once, like now you change. What the fuck is wrong with you? And two years prior to that, he had gotten in a car accident. And he'd broken his neck. So he had some issues. But what that means is that he can now live off disability. So he moves back to Vegas. He's living off disability. I read in one of these articles I read, I think it was the Vanity Fair, had gone to interview him at his home. And above his fireplace, there's a painting of a landscape. And the person interviewing him kind of is looking at at the picture. And he goes... Bob Ross. And she says, wow, a real Bob Ross. I used to watch his show as a kid. And John goes, not a real Bob Ross. It's still good, though. What does that even mean? It means that someone painted it. And, and he he's calling it, it it's a, the style of Bob it's Ross? It's a Bob Ross. Style? Style. It's someone followed the videos of Bob Ross. Well, because we love Bob Ross and we've talked about him on the podcast, I did guy. keep that in my notes to tell you because I thought you'd find it interesting. And also, Bob Ross is the antithesis to what this guy did, like, truly. Ugh. Because that was... You do not deserve... I'll tell you who doesn't deserve a Bob Ross is John Bobbitt. Yeah, a happy accident, though. <laughs> So the majority of his time is basically he looks for, he spends a ton of time looking for the forest fen treasure. (gasps) Really? (laughs) Of course. Any like get rich fast. He's the laziest person alive. But like, what does it mean looking for it? I I don't believe John Bobbitt's ever been on a hike. I think you're so lucky. (laughs) Your dick got caught off. They put it back on and you're like, let me look for treasure now. Let me, what an ass. Big Trump supporter. Mm -hmm. surprise surprise but i think in watching this four-part documentary which everyone should watch it was excellent the part that really like stood out to me because it's really sad and weird and he's like sitting on this shitty couch in his house getting and you're just like grossed by him right but he has this moment where he alludes to being molested by an uncle oh it doesn't seem false because he doesn't try to use it right really well or anything where he's like well this is why I'm like this he kind of says it as like a throwaway almost where he's like yeah I think we were all kind of molested by him and it is really sad but it was sort of the most one of the more poignant moments of the documentary and probably the only thing that sort of humanized him to me for him um is that there's some like past trauma that maybe is like but he sounds like a fucking monster total He has written Lorena a bunch of letters over the years that are like, I love you. We should get back together. And one of them, he's like, Lorena, if we got back together, we would make so much money. Because he's basically like, then we could like be a duo. We could be a double act. Yeah. And people would be like, wow, what a crazy love story. Then they got back together. Um, But (laughs) he's vile. And it's just a money making thing to him, too, where it's like he doesn't love her. He's like. This would make the sideshow even crazier. She's not interested. In the documentary, she goes, she says the best thing. Can I just tell you this? She says, I mean, I cut his penis off. Just leave me alone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess I'll end on this note. Recently, 
John attempted to Facebook friend Lorena. She did not accept his friend request. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. Holy shit. Wild. What a story, right? What a fucking journey. Unbelievable. And just like Lorena, like tried to find a way to be better and to help others. And John has just become an even shittier person if if that that was was possible. If that was even fucking possible. We gotta believe the women of the stories that we tell. <laughs> what a wild ride! That wow, thank you. Thank that was a privilege. Isn't that, that story a story? Thank you, thank you. Watch this documentary. I can't recommend it enough. Jordan Peele. What's it thank called? Thank you, Lorena. And you are like this is an absolutely insane story and. It's time to retell it because this was all very pre-Me Too. And as a result, it was only told through a specific lens. And now it's looks really different in this light when we re-examine it and we're able to say, oh, this is what happened. And totally. this is this story was only told this way because we didn't have the vernacular we have now. We weren't talking about uh women the way we we weren't believing women I think the way what's we amazing do now. is I feel like both of our stories are connected in that way. Is like they they really benefit from a 2020, 2021 hindsight where it's yes. like we see the errors of our ways for years and we're still dealing with the repercussions of it, no doubt about it. Like we are not in a perfect system just yet. But like by talking about these stories, we're able to be like, okay. America. Grow up. Grow because that's the, the theme. Up. That's the theme. America, grow up. Come on. Right. Well, dear readers, thanks for joining us for another truly darkly creepy story time. We hope that you will put down your phone and pick up your phone again because you need it <laughs> to, to write a review. Write a review. To on join Apple. Patreon. To look at our live, laugh, live, love, learn. Whatever it is. Carrie's never been to the website. She's planning on going one day. Honestly, I've made it this far without it. I'm not going to do it. That's fair. I've made it this far. I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to to visit any websites. No. Unless it's Wikipedia. In that case, she's in it. Yeah, please. Please. Give to Wikipedia. Give Give to to Patreon. Give Give to... Give yourself. Give yourself a hug. And a break. Hey, for a moment, just do me a favor. Take a deep breath. Rent Frankenpenis tonight. Rent Frankenpenis and, and let us know. Give us a review. Tell us so we don't have to. Please. <laughs> please. We, we'll do anything, but not that. We would do anything for love, but, but we won't do we that. We won't do that. I'm sorry. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh-huh.